This is the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue for the best liquor, beer, and wine deals in the River Valley. Arkansas wins the national championship! Check out Eastside Liquor on Facebook for weekly specials. Say goodbye! Darren McFadden, 80 yards, touchdown! Subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Brought to you by Breeden RV Center. Breeden RV Center, family-owned and operated, a no-pressure, laid-back atmosphere, and always home of the free maintenance for life. Hey there, what's going on, everybody? It is uh, our last day at SEC Media Days. Uh, day four. That's right, yeah. Have you lost track of the days yet, Drew Barrett? You've been there since oh. Sunday afternoon. It's a yeah, lengthy road No, I've been here since I Sunday mean, morning. Not- lots going on. You've heard that. You've heard a lot of uh, you've heard a lot of uh, coaches, players, media types. You did some singing, some hanging out, mm-hmm. uh, some other things, perhaps too. Have uh, you lost track of the day? Do you know Do you know when you're coming home or anything? Well, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, for about half of the day, I thought it was Friday because it just it does, it feels like Friday. Like this is my last day here. It's kind of a getaway day. You see a lot of suitcases here in the lobbies as people have had to start checking out. Mine's just right over here next to me as well and it feels like a friday or almost almost like a sunday like you know it's it's the end of a end of a great great work trip uh, type of feel to it and unfortunately no karaoke uh was sung everybody decided that they'd rather go back to the hotel bar uh instead of going and singing karaoke so the tradition so, uh, ended the tradition the tradition not, unlike any other was killed it was killed this year now Ty and them that I was talking to about it last night, they all said that they're, they'll are they re-up it, they'll be ready to go in Nashville. But but here's the thing, Phil, I, I don't know if I, unless I can convince the missus to delay our honeymoon, I can't go to the SEC Media Days next year because it'll be, it'll start two days after my wedding. Well, well a way to send uh, either myself or clone Ty or get one of the afternoon guys on there. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed it this time around. I did. I did. And I've had a great time. Hey, this is going to be an action-packed uh, afternoon or morning and then afternoon of sports talk on your favorite radio station because we've got three guests. A couple of them really you know, represent the SEC as best as you possibly can in media terms. Uh, nobody really does it much better than Peter Burns, host of the SEC Network. Uh, he'll be joining us uh, for an interview in a, at the bottom of this hour. Um, he's actually, we, we, we say it jokingly, like we bumped Bob Holt. More like Bob bumped us because yeah. Jimbo Fisher is going to be up on the podium in the middle of uh, this hour. And so Bob, of course, is there sitting and asking the questions to every single coach and player that are on the stage. So Bob's really one of the stars of media days. So we've got to let the star get the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And we won't have Bob hold on today, but we will have him on again next week. So instead of Bob, we got Peter Burns at uh, 1130. Uh, when we get into hour number two, we will have the most powerful person in college sports joining us. That is uh, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Uh, we'll sit down right there with Drew, strap on a headset, and take some of the hard questions. I think that'll be a really interesting interview um, because, I mean, he really is. He is right now the most powerful person in, in college sports, not just as the uh, leader of the Southeastern Conference, uh, but also as the co-chair of the Division One Transformation Committee that's basically deciding uh, what the NCAA is going to handle, what they will... Uh, leave back to the conferences 
and so yeah, I feel Drew already was like the most powerful person <laughs> in college sports just as the commissioner of the SEC. When you are one of the two people that are chairing the committee that decides what the Division One landscape's going to look like, there, there's nobody in, in this industry mm-hmm. right now that, that has more fingertips on what's going on than Greg Sankey. Oh, no. I mean, he truly is the most powerful man in, in all of college athletics because you got to think about um, – things that he's doing in other sports. You know, we talked about it not too, I think a few weeks back, uh, the idea of getting rid of the qualifiers for the my, the um, mid-major conferences and changing up my silly little bracket, which I'm definitely against. But the what he's able to do um, when it comes to conference realignment, it comes to the college football playoff, if Greg Sankey don't want it done, it ain't getting done. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, I mean, we'll pepper him some of the questions about what's going on as far as that's concerned and uh, the landscape of the SEC as far as how Arkansas fits into it. And, yeah, we'll get to uh, some of that baseball stuff, some of that uh, football stuff with Mm -hmm. him as well. I only said baseball for a moment there because I looked at my rundown, and our our third guest today is Dave Jorn, former Arkansas pitching coach who authored More Than Baseball, uh, which is coming out uh, on Saturday uh, at a – at a uh, party at Baumwalker Stadium. So uh, we'll talk with the guy who sounds more like like uh, the Duke uh, than, uh, than any other person I've ever been around in my life. So uh, calls and texts as well for the next couple of hours at 877-377-6963. And, uh, you know, I mean, one thing that, that hits on yesterday uh, when you listen to what what uh, what Sam Pittman is talking about, you you, you got to try to stay humble and hungry. I mean, you heard Kirby Smart say a lot of the same things, um, and I, maybe it's a little more difficult to be humble and hungry when you're the defending national champions. For Arkansas, a program that we still are in the in in the shadows from a few from three years ago of a winless SEC season that came on the heels of another winless SEC season. It's difficult to look at the Arkansas program, which most certainly is an ascending program right now, uh, as a team that necessarily has arrived. We're expecting, hoping for that kind of an arrival, quote-unquote arrival. And, and when I think of, of, of programs that arrive, really, the, the, the double-digit win season usually is the hallmark of arriving, but not just once, twice. So he still, he still, Drew, ends up answering a question that I think is quite easy to answer, which is, no, we haven't arrived. This is pretty easy to keep this program at a, at a base level where they feel that they've got to be hungrier than their mm-hmm. opponent. I think if you're Georgia, it's a t- situation. Yeah, it, it's definitely a much harder situation. You know, we... Um, you know, we talked to Christian from uh, Coastal Georgia yesterday, and, you know, he felt said that there's more relief than anything uh, when it came to the national championship last year and them able to finally get that 42-year <laughs> off their backs of hasn't won since 1980. But when, you, when you're Sam Pittman, it, it does present a situation, especially if you're able to follow it up this year with another eight, nine win season, which I think they're very capable of doing. I, I still haven't turned in my SEC media votes yet, but I'm probably going to put them at number two behind Alabama in the in the, in the the West. So you, you have a tricky situation of how 
do you continue to get better? How do you continue to to rise and not be somewhat complacent with that 8-9 record? Now, 8-9 wins is nothing to scoff at. I mean, that's a great thing to do. But when you listen to Sam Pittman and the players talk, that they, they want to take this program to the – to the moon and beyond like they they don't want it to be you know just your middle of the pack sec uh team they they want to be able to compete with alabama they want to be able to compete with georgia and i think sam Pittman, uh, along with barry odom and kendall Bryles, has done an absolutely phenomenal job of doing that and you listen to sam Pittman, he seems like a guy even if he does some even if he does manage to reach the mountaintop uh, while being the head coach at the University of Arkansas, he's always going to have that underdog mentality. Yeah, and and I mean maybe it starts with the first game. You know, I don't I, I don't know if the odds have come out on the Cincinnati game just yet, but a program that's coming off of an, a, a an appearance in the in the uh, college football playoff, it's road game. I don't know. Arkansas will certainly be an underdog. Uh, I think when you're playing against Alabama at mm-hmm. home, first four games though will be will be interesting to see how the betters view this this program. Because if I remember, I mean I know Arkansas was really good against the spread last year, but I think they were underdogs more often than not. You know, maybe maybe an, an idea of have you arrived or not is whether or not you feel, whether or not the the the, the mm-hmm. betters or the sports books are the ones that think you're gonna you're gonna win. Ben, you know, we'll, 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 I guess we'll find that out once we get a little bit closer to it. Uh, all right. Well, as we learned yesterday, they're 16 and 6 against the spread. Same thing. Yeah, followed up with the best answer. The answer to that, right? That's exactly right. You got to be very proud about things. What was the phrase? Good coaches win. Great, great coaches, coaches cover. cover. Yeah. Yeah, just make sure you tell the coach that the next time you see him. <laughs> uh, again, it's 877-377-6963 to get with us on halftime over the next couple of hours. Uh, Peter Burns, Greg Sankey, Dave Jorn are our guests. Uh, yeah, JT says you didn't plan the wedding on a perfect date, did you? You tried to do it after. I tried. You tried to do it after. Well, it's, the wedding is the perfect date, Drew. It's the it's after it's the, the honeymoon World series next That's year. That's the problem. It's the honeymoon. And look, you got to allow a guy, a little a guy and his and his and his significant other, once they do tie the knot, become official to like you know enjoy themselves and not worry about the pressure of SEC media days. I, I think that'll be a that'll be a that'll be a well earned honeymoon, and also a honeymoon from you know the the things about SEC media days that keeps your head on a swivel. I don't think you'll miss it one bit. Uh, all right, we got to step aside for a break. So let's let's take the break, and uh, we'll come back with much more on halftime on this fabulous Thursday. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports development. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Believe. That's B L E A V to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online, where the game starts. Are you comfortable saying Arkansas has arrived? No. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Arkansas is just trying to compete. We're trying to get better. We're trying to, you know, we, we, we're trying to fight hard. We're trying to work hard. We're the underdog. We like it that way. No, no, no. We're, we're away from that. Now, we will compete. I'm We'll do that. Roll it out there and let's play ball. But no, no, no. We, we're not that. 
Yeah, there's Sam Pittman talking about not arriving and keeping that same mentality that the team obviously showed quite a bit last year where they played with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, many, so many of these guys are returning, really, too. And I mean, you get a transfer in Drew Sanders. I feel like Sanders will be playing Drew with that proverbial chip on his shoulder. Mm. If he had trouble cracking the lineup uh, at Alabama, whether because of injuries or because the backup might be more talented, and that might have been the case in this situation as far as the Alabama coaching staff is concerned, Sanders is going to play with a chip on his shoulder. And I love edge rushers that play like that. I guess you kind of have to play with that chip on the shoulder if you're an edge rusher. I think Sanders is going to have, hopefully, a big bag of lays on that shoulder. Yeah, it's one of those things when you play that position and you are the type of player that Drew Sanders is. You have to, I don't know if it's a chip on his shoulder, but you, you've almost got to be a little crazy, right? you you, you got to be crazy to want to go in there and blow things up like he's going to do this year. And, uh, as far as the chip on the shoulder type of aspect of it, he, he just wants to prove that he belongs in the SEC. And, you know, we talked to Ryan Fowler. You talked to anybody else from the Alabama media. Uh, he does belong. He is an SEC caliber type of linebacker. But when you're playing at a school like Alabama, sometimes, it, it, and it's unfortunate for some guys, but sometimes you just get lost in the shuffle. You know, it, it might just be that you're just as talented or work just as hard as somebody else, but they're you're ahead of you. And then, you know, the number one linebacker from the class of 2020 whatever is coming up behind you and and you just kind of just get lost and kind of stuck in the mix i think that's what happened to drew sanders at alabama and he's going to be a star he's going to be somebody that you're going to hear his name a lot this season uh, at a razorback stadium and throughout the sec certainly one thing defensively that was missing last year was 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 an, an edge rusher that instilled some fear in in the opponent. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Tra- Trey Williams had a game or two here or there, uh, but uh, after about the midway point, he was he was covered up pretty well, and there wasn't too much of a push up front. You know, and, you, you, and of course your your linebackers weren't blitzing very much. End of the season, they started to blitz a little bit more, so you were you were pretty much going with with that three to four man rush mm-hmm. and. Uh, and now you now you're in a situation where you, you you might have the capability of being a little bit a little bit different defensively, changing up your front every once in a while, uh, sending in an extra rusher from spots that you didn't see too often last year, and hopefully hopefully there'll be a presence on the edge, not just from Sanders but also from Landon Jackson on the mm-hmm. defensive line transfer out of um, out of LSU. The, these are two aspects. I mean, the, the secondary is good. They're going to be fine. I, I'd be, I think it'd be interesting to see if, if, uh, if you get Jalen coming in on a blitz every once in a while, slush or two on a safety blitz. Uh, I really think it'd be so great to see. A, a, I know Sanders is listed as a linebacker. It feels mm-hmm. more like he's an edge rusher. That's the one thing that was missing last year. And, man, that can, that can lead to so many opportunities to take the, just take the ball away and do something with it. Yeah, it definitely can because you look back at last season, outside of the Texas game, you, you really didn't have a rush, you know, on the opposing quarterback. You weren't able to blow up uh, holes like, like you would like to. And uh, it's exciting to have that option this year to where you're not have to run a 3-3-5 or even a 3-2-6. You can run a more of a four-man front. You can go back to additional 4-3 and, and be able to get some pressure on the quarterback because you, you – you, 
the the biggest example of that was just looking at that Auburn game last year. I mean, Bo Nix had all the time in the world to, to do anything he wanted in that pocket. And even with as talented of defensive backs as Arkansas has, you can't expect anybody, I mean anybody, to cover uh, cover an SEC wide receiver for that long. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just not humanly possible. So getting that front, it, and if you would have had that type of front last year, you know, we're talking about an amazing 9-4 season, but could be talking about coming off an amazing 10-3 and three season. An amazing 11-2 and two season, you know? I, I truly think that in some of the games that Arkansas lost, like like Auburn, uh, you know, maybe it probably would have made a big difference uh, having a better, a bigger and better uh, defensive front. It probably would have made a difference in the Ole Miss game. I mean, that those two games right there where you can go back and look and go, yeah, if, if you're better in the trenches on the defensive side, you might have had different results. Yeah, I think the Auburn was was the one that got away last year. I think more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the 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 game in Oxford against Mississippi could have gone either way. I mean, what are you going to do about that? You know, fifty two fifty one. I mean, one point one point loss. Could have stopped the touchdown. Conversion, the difference is, yeah, maybe an extra stop or two might have helped out. I don't know if I'll. I just felt like that that game certainly could have gone uh, could have gone either way. Here's, uh, speaking of Arkansas defense, here's safety Jalen Catalan on his defensive coordinator. Coach Odom, you know, stressed talk to me after him you because, know, you know, he talked to me about the league, talked to me, see what I was doing and stuff. But, you know, he's here for us. You know, he wanted to see us ride and see us go together. So when, you know, me and Bumper came back and stuff like that, I mean, I think it made it easy for him to, you know, come back, you know. And Odom's not a guy that's going to chase, you know, the money. I feel like I think he's more on what, you know, he, he shows loyalty, for sure. I, I can respect that about He shows loyalty, makes sure everybody, you know, is right where they need to be, and he wants to be there for the guys. Yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds like loyalty. Loyalty is the word that Sam Pittman uses quite a bit. He puts that at the top of the list of things that he f- feels is an important thing for anyone that he's dealing with or just as, as a human being. And Jalen Catalan says Barry Odom didn't chase the money. He would have had an opportunity. And he almost—he almost wasn't it LSU that, uh, or was it A and M that went after it, went after Barry Odom? Uh, I know that you put me on the spot. It's one of the two. He was put in a position where he might have—he might have been offered a little bit more money for the same position at another school, uh, and and I, it's obvious to—it's not. We talked about this yesterday. His relationship with. Sam Pittman, I think, might feel a little different than the mm. old average run-of-the-mill head coach, defensive coordinator relationship. Uh, I think it goes deeper than that, and I think it goes to being very close friends. And that started really from the moment Coach Pittman arrived, and they started going on their walks around campus together. And that's also, I think, helped lead to Coach Pittman's mm-hmm. weight loss, and I think he's changed the way he eats too. But it's like you can't just automatically recreate that kind of a relationship just because you go somewhere and take more money that's one of the things about football that's just so interesting and and well you know what the, the transfer port has been around now for a year but you've had players transfer you know for a long time now they've just had to sit out for a while football is one of those games that just because like watch jordan addison this year the wide receiver that that uh, won the Boletnikoff award mm-hmm. at pitt and then transfers over to USC, theoretically because there's more money, and I don't know, maybe he wanted to play for a Lincoln-Riley offense instead of Pat Narduzzi's uh, team. Um, 
it'd be very interesting to see. And I know he's, he and Caleb Williams are, are very good friends and everything like that. But, man, it, you don't just automatically get to recreate what you had at the pit offense with Kenny Pickett. And I know it would have been a different quarterback this year. It's the same thing with, like, coordinator and head coach relationships. You know, you can't just put somebody in that role and say, all right, do what you did at the last place and, and, and let's have the same relationship. I just... I think I think if they didn't have that closeness, maybe maybe Odom would have jumped at the opportunity to head somewhere else, where he might have made a little more a little more cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hear Jerry Cowan and um, Sam Pittman talk about Barry Odom yesterday, and just such the in, in the bestest of ways. And you know, as somebody who um, you know, I don't I don't know Barry, but he he coached at, at my alma mater, and I never heard a bad word about him there. And I think that most people, if you talk to them in Missouri, they were. Kind of, they were. I don't think they were sad to see him go, but they were sad to see how it all folded out because he was is an alum, was a is just a, a great guy. And when you talk about loyalty, just how committed Barry Odom seems to be to Arkansas and to Sam Pittman, it, it's chemistry, man. It, it's hard to recreate. It's hard to do something about it. And you, when you have it, you got to keep it. And I think that's one reason why Barry is still here because. He feels comfortable. He feels comfortable with Sam. He feels comfortable with these players. And, and Jalen Cowan said, Barry's not just going to hey, – Barry, Coach Odom's not just going to leave. He's a loyal guy. He, he wants to see the bumper and, and Jalen and everybody else on that defensive side thrive and, and get better, and he wants to be a part of that journey. Bushlight Apple is back in season at Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith. Eastside Liquor also has Crown Royal Peach Tea, Whiskey Cola, and Apple Cocktails. Come find your new favorite at Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith, 9390 Rogers Avenue. Now, back to the podcast. We're here live at SEC Media Days as we're closing out the week, and we're so happy to be joined by Peter Burns of ESPN and, and SEC Network. Peter, it's been an incredible week. This is actually my first SEC Media Days, and I could not have asked for a better experience. What's some of the best things that you've seen so far this week? Wait a minute. I didn't know that you were a rookie. And by the way, and that is a rookie move, you never let anybody take the microphone from you. So you see, because you never know when you might get it back, right? No. Uh, Actually, I've been here many times, right? So I want to know, like, in your first trip, like, what was the actual coolest thing that you've seen? Honestly, and it's going to sound weird, but I, I've worked in radio for the last nine, ten years, and being a producer and hearing all the fun everybody's had, one of the crazy things that was on my bucket list to see was Ringhead from Alabama. Was the famous Ringhead, and I was a little upset he didn't bring Baby Ringhead because I've seen that in the past few years. That was actually one of the biggest ones, so I was able to cross that off the list. Obviously, getting to see some of you guys that I, I watch on TV on a, on a daily basis has been. Uh, extremely amazing and uh, just getting to be you know this close you know I passed Nick Saban on the way to the bathroom he gave me a head nod so we're basically best friends now so Tim Tebow gave me directions earlier today he's gonna be in my wedding next July now so we're all good I mean making lasting memories and lasting friends has been what it's all been about yeah and I think that's and, and honestly we, that's how we use it in the media is like it's kind of a you know it's kind of a gathering, right? Like, we've all been on vacation. We've all had a lot of stuff going on with our families or work. And it's kind of like, all right, we're all going to get together and, and celebrate this thing of college football, and especially this conference. And, I mean, again, I look around at the other conferences that are having their media days, and I'm like, no one has 
four days and no one has superstars rolling around. Nobody has, you know, hundreds and almost thousands of media members that are here to cover it. And it is a circus. So like it energizes me who had have been blessed enough to see opportunities to do it. That guys like it lives up to the hype for, for, for rooks. So um, and it's been a good week. You know, I mean, Greg Sankey was fantastic right off the jump. You could tell that he's in a great mood with everything that's going on with the conference. Um, you know, I really was uh, impressed with Stetson Bennett. You know, it was the first time we really got a chance to hear from him. And then, listen, if you don't love Sam Pittman, you don't have a freaking pulse right now. Like, he's such a great dude. And, um, you know, it's, it's a reason why you understand the more time you spend with them, I'm glad we do this because I want more people to understand when they sit down with, with Sam how he's got it rolling in Fayetteville. He really has. So let's talk about Arkansas and coming off an impressive 9-4 season, winning the Outback Bowl uh, against Penn State. You know, a lot of people have picked them to finish, you know, second in, the, second in the West. And I've seen some people be as bold to say that Alabama can even be on upset watch there in uh, the first half of the season. What are, what are your expectations? What are you kind of really looking forward to watching from this Arkansas team? Honestly, I think, I think it's consistency is what I want to look forward because I want to see the consistency. Of, of KJ Jefferson and how he develops but doesn't get too far in front of his skis. Um, and, and again, I think for right now, for Arkansas, as they're trying to build this, I don't think they have the depth of, of an Alabama. I don't think they have the depth of a Georgia right now. But can you back up a really good 9-3 and three season and with another 9-3 and three season? Can this be the new way that Arkansas football was looked at? Because there were some doldrum years, right? But for Sam to be able to do this and, and, and rebuild it so fast has been fascinating to watch. Um, and again, you have to be able to be become a, a, a destination year in and year out. And I, I remember, you know, 07, 08, you know, some of those those incredible Arkansas teams, like all the way through the mid-2000s when they had it rolling, you didn't want any piece of them. And it was a mentality that Arkansas had, and I, I feel like that's returning to Fayetteville. Yeah, it really has. You can definitely tell the passion is coming back in uh, Hog Nation and everything like that. And since we've been here at SC Media Days, you know, leading up to it, you know, USC, UCLA was a big storyline, expansion, but I still felt like Jimbo Saban was going to be bigger than it was. I didn't really hear that much. You know, it wasn't really addressed in his main speech uh, yesterday for Nick Saban. Are we going to get more from Jimbo tomorrow? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think Jimbo basically, those two tussled and Jimbo won that little battle, right? And, and he won the battle on the field last year. But when it comes to football, it's, it's, it's kind of a war of a while. So I, I don't think that he reopens that. I think that now he says, hey, listen, I, I, I rose above it. Um, I said what I needed to say, and I'm here to focus on football. And, and I think Jimbo has to this year because I think they have a, a whole hell of a lot of talent, but I think it's extremely young talent. Um, in fact, I mean, I, I honestly feel better right now about Arkansas football right right here and there uh, as opposed to where A&M football is coming out, at least this season. Now, 2023, I, I mean, with a recruiting class like that that they just had, it's, it's hard to not think that they're going to be up there as one of the title contenders. Yeah, they definitely should with all the stars and talents and the rankings that they really have uh, been able to get down there at College Station. Uh, on the east side of the conference, you know, Mark Stoops talked today, you know, finished second in the, in the east. And it's kind of he, – he's talked about how there's Georgia and then there's everybody else. Is anyone close to catching Georgia? Um, I mean – I think Kentucky's pretty darn close. I got some concerns about their offensive line this year. I think Tennessee, if they have some depth defensively, they could do it. I, I, I think Georgia is 
more beatable than they were last year um, because I don't think they have as historic of a defense. But that's the question that we've been asking everybody on our shows all week long. It's like, who's the third best team? And I can't think of it, right? I don't know if it's Kentucky. I don't know if it's, um, you know, South Carolina. If Spencer Rattler answers the bell. It might be Arkansas at this point. And I think that's, I think that's great for the league. Because now it's not just you got one, two teams that are really good, and outside of that, and nobody. Like it's starting to feel like almost an NFL conference or an NFL division where the parity is so good, and that's because people are transferring into this place and they want to play high-level football. And if you don't do it at Alabama or Georgia, there's you can go to Arkansas. You can do it a bunch of different places right now. You're going to play in front of 85,000 fans, and it's going to go crazy. So it's. It's a good time to be a part of this conference. It is a good time, and it's definitely a good time to be a part of Arkansas athletics because Sam Pittman's got it rolling. You know, Dave Van Horn's coming off of a college World Series performance. Thoughts on uh, Dave Van Horn and the way that he was really able to turn that team around from Hoover, 0-2 and barbecue, to being one run away from being in the final series of the College World Series? It goes to show you, I mean, I I took my family up to Chapel Hill and got to see you guys up there, and it was just – you realize that what Dave Van Horn has done is a, a Hall of Fame career. And that's, you know, like he's got it's near and dear in my heart because you get a, a, ch- a chance to see firsthand what it means to the, the Razorback fans and how crazy they are. And then Dave Van Horn's got it going. Courtney Dyfel and look at what she's done. Must. I mean, like, it's just such a good vibe right now in Fayetteville that there's not a lot of fan bases throughout the country that have it rolling the way the Razorbacks have right now. But I think it honestly starts with, with, with Dave because. You know, he's been there for so long. He sets the expectation level. Everybody is kind of rising up to that point. And, I mean, I think there's competition inside that athletic department. That's a great thing. Last thing for you real quick, Peter, how long is the stash day? Man, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so bad that it's turned into something good. And, like, it's now in a mentality. So now I think I've upset so many of our SEC network people that I wear it that I think I might end up having to keep it for a little bit longer. That's our secret, though. They don't know that yet. <laughs> well, it looks good. Uh, I, I definitely don't hate on it. So I appreciate you joining me. Thanks so much. Why do people do business with First Western? Because First Western builds relationships with all of their customers. They partner for the long haul to help you with your financial goals over all seasons of life. First Western is prompt, responsive, and they deliver with quick answers and on-time loan closings. When is the last time your banker called you? You are looking for a high level of service and a financial partner who will listen and respond. Try First Western. For more information, visit them online at firstwestern.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Make sure to follow Halftime on Twitter at Hit That Line AR and on Facebook and Instagram at Hit That Line. Follow the guys on Twitter at Phil Elson PXP, at Matt Travis, and at DBarrett36. Now, back to the guys. Here's Phil Elson, Matty T, and Drew Barrett. All right, wrapping up the first hour here on Halftime, 877-377-6963. If you got anything for us, we're going to have Greg Sankey in about 13 minutes. So if you got any questions, well, we've got lots of questions for the commission. <laughs> yeah, we do. We want to open any of them up for, like, callers, for text. Or not. We can't have calls. I think no, well, no, no, well, no. We wouldn't do the commission like that. 
We can't turn the texts away necessarily. I mean, we can filter your questions through if we have to. What if Eddie called? Do we uh, let Eddie talk to the commissioner? The SEC that would be, train are rolling down the tracks. Wow. That would it'd be interesting. Did we lose him? Yeah, I think uh, we're still having some technical difficulties, uh, but we'll get Phil back on here in a second. But it is going to be a great conversation uh, with Greg Sankey coming up, like Phil said, uh, at the top of the second hour. And we'll get to some of y'all's texts throughout the show, uh, 877-377-6963, if you want to get in here before. Give us some questions. I've got my handy-dandy notebook right here that I've been writing some things down. And, and ultimately, one thing that you know I want to know from... Greg Sankey, and I, I'm sure he's been asked this probably a hundred times. You know, there really aren't anything uh, as original ideas or original questions anymore. But I, I want to know if how he his attitude toward the other conferences are now. You know, because he made a push for the expansion uh, of the college football playoff. You know, basically saying, "You idiots, you can't see the writing on the wall. This is what's going on." What we're seeing now is what he was trying to explain to the other conferences that they needed to expand the playoff in order for them to get in cuz now the SEC they're half of the playoff. I mean we we we've coming off a year where we saw a, well, another all SEC championship with Alabama and Georgia. You know, it's becoming less of a college football playoff, more of an SEC playoff, but that just shows just how great the SEC truly is when it comes to playing on the gridiron. So it is what is his real attitude towards them now? Because it, it almost feels like, you know, I tried to warn you, now you're on your own. Because the Big 12's got to do something. The Pac-12's got to do something. The Big 10 has done something. ACC feels like they look like an ostrich that burying its head in the sand and just saying, see no evil, hear no evil. There is no evil. But college football is expanding, but now it feels like that Sankey's has reached the point where, you know, I tried to help you out. I tried to do this. I tried to do what was best for college football. Now, don't ask me your mind for nothing type of <laughs> mentality where if if the SEC is half the playoff, then the SEC is half the playoff, and that's the way that he wants it. That's the way that's what's best for the conference and and ultimately what's best for, for his team. So I, I feel like he's reached the point of, you know what, screw it. I'm tired of looking out for you all. I'm just going to look out for me. I think all the connections here are working again. Hey. Um, but I wonder, like, is there is there a conflict between, you know, running the SEC, being the commissioner of a conference, mm-hmm. and then also at the same time uh, co-chairing the, the transformation committee for Division One? Because at that point, I mean, it's not like you don't want the input from a commissioner or an athletic director or, you know, or other administrators. You have an athletic director, Julie Cromer, and Greg Sankey, a commissioner, that are the co-chairs here. But you know, in that in that case, you, so you have you have the most I think the most powerful person in college sports, and Greg Sankey, whose main job is to advocate specifically for his league and the 14 schools that are going to be 16 schools um, within his own league. You know, but at the same time, is everything that is good for the SEC good for the rest of Division One sports? Mm-hmm. You can see where there, there, there is a bit of a conflict going on there. You know, and one of the things I want to ask Mr. Sankey about 
is is the automatic qualifier, mm-hmm. uh, which which we now know that the SEC is against automatic qualifiers for the college football playoff. Do you take? Do you ta- he uses the term um, "earn your way in." Mm-hmm. Now, really, really, on it, like really, he's, he's looking at the idea that uh, maybe a twentieth best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe a twentieth best team, like uh, in the situation, if you would have had an automatic qualifiers. Um, you know, the last few years, the the eight team, especially if we expanded, you know, the the eighth ranked team, according to the CFP and other polls, would be left out. But you're going to get a, a twenty and twenty five. You know, could possibly even have a have an unranked team. And you know, we've seen that uh, unranked teams be in these championship games in the Pac-12, in the ACC. We we've seen that happen to where it's going. To, you can't have automatic qualifiers if you want the best product. And isn't that what we really want? And it's I know what a lot of people are thinking. Well, Drew, we have automatic qualifiers in basketball. Yes, but basketball is a different sport. It is completely apples to oranges when it comes to football. That I don't think that if you have these automatic qualifiers and you get teams that sneak in to the playoff because the rest of their conference was down, like we've seen with, with the ACC, we've seen for – most of Dabo's uh, successful run at Clemson, you know, it's been a cakewalk in the in the ACC championship. Why would I want to see a caliber team like Clemson just have another cakewalk in the playoff with automatic qualifiers? So that's why it, it doesn't do anything for me because I don't think while well, while you have upsets and Cinderellas in. The, on the in March Madness, I don't see that happening. I don't see that translating into college football. I really don't. But the, my, my question is: so if you take that that idea and 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 that landscape for how you're deciding the twelve, the sixteen, the eight teams, however many it's going to be that that are playing for the college football national championship, do you take the same idea or restriction, really restrictions mm-hmm. of the automatic qualifiers, and move that to? other sports because this is this is where the NCAA this is where his transformation committee comes in pretty importantly Mm -hmm. and we've already brought this up before there there's talk that Commissioner Sankey has already kind of let it be known in some of these D1 transformation meetings that he's not really that that the NCAA basketball tournament may change the way or he would like to see the way they change the way you select the 68 teams and I mean, if there's only what's the what uh, what way can you think of that's different in how you're selecting the 68 mm-hmm. teams other than doing away with automatic qualifiers, which then does away with a lot of Cinderellas. Mm-hmm. You end up with does that mean that means you take away a bid, you know, one bid leagues? Nobody's going to go to the tournament in a lot of those cases. There is no Sun Belt team in the. In but then, the what do you do with those leagues? Then I mean, it's a, if, what's the whole point of be, them being around? Mm-hmm. Is to make it. You know, they want to win their league championship so they can get to the big dance. Why do you think they're doing all that celebrating? Exactly, it, it, it means something to a lot of those programs. It means something to Vermont fans or, or Harvard or Yale alumni to to see their their team advance from the Ivy League. You know, it, it means something to those programs. So, and, and it means a lot financially too. I mean, you look at a school like UT Chat. Um, you know, they made a lot of money on winning their conference tournament, uh, the SOCON, and getting in to the big dance. And that, that helped out not just basketball. It, it helped out the entire athletic department. 
Like that that's money that these schools depend on. You know, and I, I think that getting rid of automatic qualifiers it's just it doesn't make any sense because it's one of those things where it might make sense and yeah if they did it i might enjoy it because i am getting to see truly the best 68 teams in college basketball which is entertaining but nobody ever really but thinks that these are the best i don't best want it to change how do how do we really tell best 68 like you can, i don't know like if you're going to go by by 12 or 16 maybe maybe that just feels mm-hmm. separating them a little bit better than it's different sports man you, i just i can't imagine treat like i can understand the idea of not having like automatic same. qualifiers for football i can understand mm-hmm. that there's a there's such a huge discrepancy and there's only 12 or 16 teams that get in sure so i can understand this uh, for for basketball, I, I mean it's much more exciting. It's much more exciting when a nobody gets in because they won a league championship mm-hmm. than Texas A and M making it into the tournament as the 68th team, and we don't have to play the world's smallest violin for Buzz <laughs> Williams and the Aggies. You know, th- those are those are some of the things that make that make it special. There are no Cinderellas in college football. By the time you get to the championships, by the time you get to December, mm-hmm. there are no Cinderellas. No. I mean, you got Final Four, sure. Notre Dame is Cinderella against Alabama. I'll give you that, okay? But they're just it's totally different. I just can't imagine treating them exactly the same. So that maybe this is something we can get into with Commissioner Sinky after the break. So stay with us. If you got questions for the commish, if we run out of any of them, as long as we have them, and that's about 10 minutes, 877-377-6963. Back with Greg Sankey on Halftime. Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith is your home for all the celebrity tequilas. Michael Jordan's Sin Coro, Fletcher Azul from Mark Wahlberg, Ava Longoria's Casa del Sol, Kendall Jenner's 818, The Rock's Termana, and many more. Stop by Eastside Liquor at 9390 Rogers Avenue and check them out today. Now, back to the podcast. Welcome back into the second hour of Halftime ESPN Arkansas. Hit that line.com live at SEC Media Days. Drew Barrett is at the College Football Hall of Fame. I'm Phil Elson at the home studio. Maddie T at ESPN Arkansas headquarters. And we're joined by SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey there right across from Drew. And Commissioner Sankey, we appreciate your time. I'm sure it's been, uh, I mean, it's always busy for you, but especially this week. So thank you for a little bit of your time today. How are you? Uh, I'm well. You're welcome. Drew saw me, <laughs> like, putting on the headset as I was getting off of a phone call. That's kind of the <laughs> way the week goes right now. But it's uh, it's a great week to start talking about the season ahead and uh, a lot of energy in the building. And fun to be in, in this College Football Hall of Fame because you can't escape college football in this structure. That's right. That's right. Let me ask a point-blank question about Arkansas football and its place in the SEC. What what does a successful Arkansas football team mean to the SEC overall? It's already the best league in college football, even when Arkansas was struggling before Sam Pittman arrived. So now that they've won nine games and are looking forward to hopefully increasing that next year, what do you think a successful Razorback football team means for this conference? It means a great deal, and you saw that last year uh, in that, that weekend with the win over Texas, for example, uh, although we encourage people to stay off the field. Uh, <laughs> but the energy that was present, the desire, the passion. You know, I lived in Dallas, and I'm going to shift from, from football to basketball back in the Southwest Conference Reunion Arena days, and I've told our staff repeatedly uh, about the power of of Razorback Nation, about uh, the the uh, excitement around the University of Arkansas, and, and you've seen that in different ways over time. You know, being at, at the baseball stadium um, a few years ago when I was traveling around, or that night 
um, the, you know, the enthusiasm that, that Moss has brought back to basketball. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, the win in Tampa, um, you know, that, that's a, a Big Ten opponent. Um, I think really put a, a stamp on the right kind of season of progress. Now, our league's tough, uh, but I, I enjoyed talking to Sam about the prospects for the year, the enthusiasm he brings, and he's built in to building a, a really healthy culture in, in the Razorback football program. I think that means great things for the future, and that's very important to the SEC overall. You think we might be able to at some point throw in like a waiver for one time storm in the field if it's your hated rival that you hadn't played in years? <laughs> like that would be the one to give them the waiver. Wouldn't Did that have been the one? How about for the Garth Brooks concert? We'll okay. That a waiver, <laughs> that, right? That's Everybody a waiver enough because, yeah, they were on the field for that. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Um, so uh, what, what, what right now, there's a lot of issues to worry about in college sports for the SEC specifically. What is the most pressing issue in front of the Southeastern Conference? I wish I had the opportunity to pick one. Um, I was walking off of uh, uh, the, the, the other floor up the stairs on a phone call talking about one of them. You know, th- there are a set. So we, we obviously saw a league do what we did last year, which is move to 16. Um, what that means for us first is we want to be focused on onboarding uh, the University of Oklahoma and University of Texas uh, in 2025 and our expansion to 16, working through scheduling models. Some of those models we've resolved, like in men's and women's basketball, football obviously being one that's a priority for us to resolve uh, moving forward in, in a relatively short order. Uh, we want to be smart about using time, but also need to prepare our, our schedules, and particularly our non-conference schedules, uh, for the future. In the name, image, image and likeness issue, uh, is one that, that's not going away. You know, I saw, I think, K.J. Jefferson had an announcement uh, yesterday about a bank in the relationship. Mm. That's the stuff we expected. Uh, it's not involved in recruiting. Um, it's the ability for one to build their brand when they're on campus. Um, I don't know any of the details. Just saw it, and the reaction is that's what we expected to happen. You know, jersey sales we expected to happen. Um, uh, Karis Jackson's a wide receiver at Georgia, had a... Uh, Bojangles deal and he went through biscuit making on social media <laughs> um, but we, we have a patchwork of state laws which we never wanted and so we have to work on, on solutions and whether or not we can uh, establish a, a common national standard through federal legislation remains to be seen. The NCAA is really not in a circumstance to pass a rule that, 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 that makes common all the state laws because they're different. Mm. And the NCAA can't put state universities in conflict with state laws. Um, so there's some really important work to be done there. You know, the future of the NCAA as an entity, uh, they're going through transition in the presidency. We're looking at transformational issues on a committee. Um, there's wide variance in Division One. That, that's a, a, a huge and significant factor. Um, and then when I think locally, it's about how do we maintain the health and strength of our conference collectively, uh, the work of our presidents and chancellors, our athletics directors, uh, to build universities that attract young people from all across the country to be in the SEC as students. The work of our athletics directors then to build their athletic program that creates that atmosphere, that environment for alumni, fans, students to, to, to enjoy, to, to have the, the highs and the lows of competition. Uh, you know, all of those things are, are incredibly important, particularly when you're going through a change in, in media landscape. And we're, in, we're really well positioned. In fact, I, I would represent that 
some of what's happened recently has validated our decision making a year ago to move to 16 and you know for Arkansas to restore that Texas rivalry at a uh, uh, an adjacent state in Oklahoma and opportunities there for us all, but particularly given the, the location of those two additions, um, I think that's one of those positive aspects of our work. Commissioner Sankey, you, you talk about the NIL stuff and how it, the NCAA doesn't really have a, a, a place to, you know, have the power to make it uniformity. But in the last couple of years with the transfer portal, with NIL, with the expansion, words like fair and balanced gets thrown out a lot by not only SEC coaches, but coaches all around college football. In your opinion, has college football ever actually been fair and balanced? And can it ever actually be that way where it's uniformity across the across the landscape and everybody's able to hold hands and and sing kumbaya. I start with uh, a common national standard. And, and we've had that at, at different levels. Mm-hmm. So we have minimum academic expectations. We have a playing season structure. We have when you recruit and when, when you don't recruit. That's a common national uh, platform for conducting college athletic competition. Uh, we've lost some of that with mm-hmm. these state laws. Um, I, I do think that's still important. That doesn't mean, you know, we, we actually in our scheduling, believe it or not, use the word fair and balanced. We heard that from our ADs. Our scheduling needs to be fair and balanced. And so then the question is, what does that mean? And we actually went through surveys and one-on-one conversations to build models about what it actually means um, to, to be fair and balanced in scheduling. Um, and the same questions there for programs. You know, there are going to be programs with coaches, with money, with geography, with stadiums, with history. That, that have certain aspects of what they do that I would say are advantageous. But we've also seen, I'm going to jump out of football for a second mm-hmm. and take softball. It wasn't that long ago when, when Courtney Dyfel showed up on campus that, that, that Arkansas was at the bottom of the standing. <laughs> yeah. And it's through effort, hiring the right people, involving the right people in your program as participants, the right kind of support, the right kind of facilities, where you've watched that program go from the seller uh, to, to the very top of the standings of the last two years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that can still happen, even in our league, even with histories that are there. It's competitive enough that people can rise up and succeed. And it goes back to the first question about the opportunities for Arkansas's football program. I think uh, the, the, the future is incredibly bright and the opportunities are there. Is that fair and balanced? You know, they're going to have these moments mm-hmm. when things happen. Uh, but it, there's a competitive opportunity based on a national standard, and that's really the need. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the news um, the last few days has been about uh, you know the college football playoff uh, against uh, with automatic bids. Why do you, what, what what's your stance and why does automatic bids not work in college football? But can work in you know maybe other sports. Although as I've, I've seen that uh, you're kind of looking at a way to get rid of automatic bids in the NCAA tournament with being a, the co-chairman of the transformation committee. Are we just past it where automatic bids just don't make any more sense? Yeah. To be clear, there was a media article that I was somehow advocating mm-hmm. for the elimination of automatic bids in basketball. That's in okay. So I'm, I'm uh, sorry to miss questions. No, that's there. okay. No, you 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 read the article. Uh, it wasn't you. It was the, the guy that wrote the article. I was article. trusting my fellow journalist is yeah, what I did. And, and I can explain the context of that uh, more specifically. But um, we have a history around automatic opportunities being granted um, uh, for conference champions that dates back 40-plus or 40 or so years um, within the NCA structure. We don't have a championship structure in football, like a playoff, mm-hmm. that's nearly that old. In fact, we had the BCS, which was a two-team playoff in one game, if you will, and now we have a a four-team playoff. 
Uh, my position is that's a much, much smaller number than anything we have at the NCAA level relative to the number of, of teams participating. And so we're still, we still have the need to manage the number of games total in the, in the season. That includes how many games would be in the playoff. And we need to make sure that the best teams have access. Because one way to look at the whole automatic bid structure is that you are skipping over teams relatively 40 through 50, mm-hmm. right? Or 38 through 50 in the, in the RPI or the net rankings to bring in a dozen teams who are less competitive mm-hmm. based on a season-long analysis. Um, and that's our history. We accept that. And, and I'm not here to argue with that. But we don't do that in football. You don't have the space. You don't have the freedom to play six games mm-hmm. to bring in more and more people. So uh, what we said is no automatic bids in the original 12-team format, but there are six spaces for the six best conference champions. So who's ever a conference champion ranked highest among the con- mm-hmm. 10 conferences Six of those 12 go to those conference champions. It's not an automatic bid, so it's not the Big Ten gets an AQ, the SEC gets an AQ. I'm comfortable saying I think we're good enough to earn our way in. I think you are. Um, Others are not. Others want that protection, um, which which is a fascinating thought process, Mm -hmm. uh, by the way. The other six spots in a 12-team format would be for... The, the, the six teams most highly ranked who are not conference champions. That way you're ensuring that the top ten is in the field. And, and arguably that's probably the range where somebody could you know, have a quarterback that figures it out or a running back that gets healthy and make a run, kind of like you saw with Ole Miss in baseball. You know, Ole Miss was the last team in, and it speaks to some of the teams we leave out because they were, if they were the last team in and made a run to the national championship, mm-hmm. makes you wonder what the next team, the first team left out, could have done competitively. Uh, but for football, because it's so narrow, I, I think uh, a less emphasis on kind of automatic bids mm-hmm. or automatic qualifiers is a necessity. A couple more minutes here with uh, Commissioner Greg Sankey of the SEC, and we really appreciate your time, especially in the middle of media days. You'd mentioned your uh, assignment responsibility as a co-chair of the Division One Transformation Committee along with Julie Cromer Peoples and like that's a big job, you know, that goes along with deciding and figuring out with 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 the rest of your committee members what Division One sports are going to look like moving forward. It feels like a lot of the decision making or power necessarily will end up going to the conferences. I mean, is and 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 I've I've seen interviews where you said this is a big job. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, of universities and presidents that that are that are also you know a, a part of this. Is there a target date that, that that is set for when the recommendations or when Division One sports becomes transformed? Uh, there are three answers to that question. So I'm going to start with how I interpret, you know, can we transform ourselves? That's just a heck of a question that I'm, I'm thinking about every day. We speak of transformation, but we're mired in historical practice. And to make the leap from the way it's always been to the way it needs to be is actually a significant leap. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the challenges. And so I think that the answer to the overall question remains to be written. Uh, we will have a set of initial recommendations, for, first starting with um, deregulating around benefits to student-athletes, trying to create a little bit more structure around the transfer world, um, dealing with some of the infractions issues and, and being much more timely and more focused on, uh, on the really important issues. Uh, that will go to the Division One Board of Directors, I think, August 3rd. So that's the first step. And to the, the essence of your question, by mid-December, I think we'll be at a concluding point to forward 
uh, final recommendations, at least from this iteration of the Transformation Committee, uh, to the NCA board for a meeting in, in January. Um, and so that right now is the timeline. But the essential question is, do we have the ability to really transform as uh, we have disparate interests, different reasons for sponsoring uh, Division One athletics? We have more and more members, so we have a, a tall task, and, and Julie has been a great uh, partner with me and hopefully myself a great partner with her as we try to think, think through some of these uh, long-standing challenges that have not been dealt with directly uh, at the Division One level of college sports. Mm-hmm. Commissioner, last, last thing for me, um, obviously the SEC you know, is dominating across the board. Uh, you're about to add in uh, a powerhouse in Oklahoma for, for softball. You know, Arkansas made the, the Elite Eight. You know, Ole Miss. And where is there a sport that you would like to see the SEC grow and, and gain more traction in? Because it feels like in all collegiate athletics, it's the SEC than everybody else. I would have said uh, pre-pandemic, women's volleyball we had never won a national championship Mm -hmm. in women's volleyball and then through the 2021 year kentucky captured our first uh national championship in women's volleyball which i have to admit was one of those really cool moments Mm -hmm. will always be memorable for me because we've never done that before you know i look at women's soccer uh we've played really well what colby's done um it's great that atmosphere Mm -hmm. for the ncaa tournament games held in fayetteville Uh, i was watching online it was just fun to see that enthusiasm um, it's been a while, you know, we're to the late nineties in Florida, uh, mm-hmm. winning, uh, what, what I really want is, uh, you know, winning national championships, you know, it's a bounce of a ball here, uh, you know, uh, just a, a little infinitesimal mm-hmm. difference. Um, you, we want us to perform at a final four type level with teams every year and that sets you up for national championship success. So is there a sport? Yeah. You know, my mantra was I want to graduate every student athlete. I want to win every championship and that gives us influence to change the world. So I want to win them all. Last thing overall, and then we'll let you get to the rest of your day here. I know you, 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 you talk about the Texas and Oklahoma aren't at the meetings at Destin. They're not at SEC media days. You know, you, you're right now, it's the 14 teams that are part of the SEC until those two join. Is there any ever consultation with Texas and Oklahoma about things that could happen once they do join the league? Yes. Um, we started uh, communication in, in August with the athletics directors and both university presidents just to keep them up to date and they can keep me up to date on issues. We've had them in some meetings, uh, the athletics directors in particular. You know, bringing them to Destin would have been a distraction and, and we had a little bit of distraction there anyway and a lot of work to do. Um, they're, when they're full members, uh, they'll be at media days and uh, we continue in conversation and, and they do participate as we discuss some of the key issues around scheduling that will affect them when they join. So uh, we've been a really great relationship. In fact, I talked to uh, Chris Del Conte today, talked to Joe Castiglione last week, talked to the Oklahoma president earlier this week, and uh, it's uh, the opportunity to build relationships that existed but will manifest themselves in a different way in the future, which is really exciting, I think, for everyone. We'll leave it there. Appreciate your time, Commissioner Sankey. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and for what you do for college sports in this league. Thank you. Thanks, Commissioner. Greg Sankey, Commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, joining us on Halftime. 
877-377-6963 if you want to react to any of that. Brought to you by Pradco Fishing Lures. They make the Booyah Bait Company, and right now it's the hottest swimming jig on the Arkansas River. It's the Booyah Mobster, designed by Muddy Water Mob in Arkansas and Oklahoma. Wins tournaments on Lake Dardanelle and Kerr Lake like clockwork. So if you're fishing submerged or matted grass, Use the Booyah Mobster to reel them in, and you'll find it at Learnat.com and tackle stores all throughout Arkansas and Oklahoma. More halftime after this quick break. Guys, it's all about confidence when it's time for sex. Am I right? Sometimes stress, anxiety, or just a bad day can affect your performance and ruin the fun and passion for both of you. But don't worry. BlueChew.com is here to save the day. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. BlueChew tablets help men combat all forms of ED. Because BlueChew is an online prescription service, there are no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a very discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredients and strength for your prescription. BlueChew tablets are made right here in the USA, and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use our promo code believe at checkout just pay five dollars shipping that's bluechew.com promo code believe b-l-e-a-v to receive your first month free well i quit my job down at the car wash left my mama a goodbye note by sundown i left kingston with my guitar up under my coat all the way down to Memphis, got a room at the YMCA. For the next three weeks, I went a haunting them nightclubs, looking for a place to play. Well, I thought my picking would set them on fire, but nobody wanted to hire a guitar man. Now, back to the guys. Here's Phil Elson, Maddie T, and Drew Barrett. A lot of people have been trying to figure out how y'all are going to replace the productivity that Traylon Burks did. A lot of people are thinking it's by committee. Have you seen one guy that could possibly step up and be that Traylon Burks? I feel like all my guys can. I mean, just their room, just the com- uh, com- competition in their room that we have. All those guys are uh, just taking advantage of their opportunity. So when the opportunity uh, just presents itself, all of them be ready. One guy maybe, to, and it was a good question there, uh, Drew. Although nobody can nobody can do what Traylon Burks did last year, and I think asking for for that is is probably a, a fool's errand. But there is there are there are a couple of uh, the incoming transfers that uh, have shown at Division One levels that uh, they're already pretty good. I mean, Jaden Hazelwood, obviously top of the list. Matt Landers. I don't know if we've talked about Landers all that much. We have not. Transfers in from Toledo, where he had uh, scored five touchdowns in seven games last year, averaged almost 26 yards per catch in the MAC. Uh, now he started his career at Georgia, so he's got that sort of mm-hmm. uh, SEC athleticism. He's got the body. He's not uh, six foot five, uh, 200 pounds. What I see listed. Uh, <clears throat> th- this is. This is a tall receiver. It's great to have mm-hmm. a, a tall receiver like this and someone who's coming back into the SEC. 
where he did catch 12 balls for Georgia combined 2019 and 2020. He only played in seven games for the Bulldogs. But, you know, if you're recruited by Georgia and you sign at Georgia and you even get into a few games, uh, you've got a pretty special level of athleticism. <laughs> and I think Landers, again, is not going to be there to replace Traylon Burks, but I think he's the tallest receiver. Uh, I think he's going to be an interesting uh, an interesting guy to be watching now. Well, you always want an, a, a tall re- receiver that can go up and get it. You know, you see it uh, coming to use in a lot of, um, you know, red zone packages, in the back of the end zone type of situations, fades. Um, always helps when, when you can possibly have, you know, half a foot on the defensive back. Um, so that's always great. And, and like you said, I mean, obviously a very talented guy. I mean, you don't get recruited by Georgia and you don't have the, the stars by your name. Uh, coming out of high school if, if you're not. So he, he's definitely somebody that I think you're right. A lot of people have kind of overlooked as somebody who's going to be a major player in that fold because – and maybe it's because it's just a little – it's a lot closer. And, I mean, come on, how many how many Rockets games did you watch from Toledo last year? Not too many. I've definitely watched Oklahoma. I've definitely seen Hazelwood play. And it's just the – I guess the excitement's a little bit more just – on paper when you're talking about two transfer wide receivers. One's from Oklahoma, the other one's from the Maction. I feel like Warren Thompson also could have. We saw something mm-hmm. from Warren last year, but uh, a few passes went right through his hands. Sometimes we say, well, if he could just cure the dropsies, sometimes they, they never quite get cured. But he's a big body. He's got some speed, too. And uh, I think maybe Warren Thompson has a chance to break out for Arkansas this next year as well. All right, let's take uh, the break. Dave Jorn, former Arkansas pitching coach in just a moment, brought to you by CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. Uh, they've got great jobs right now available at both locations, Fayetteville and Russellville. It's, of course, got the best burgers, fries, and shakes anywhere in the state of Arkansas, but they're looking for team players, hard workers, and good attitudes. Go to ButcherBoyBurger.com, and you'll find a career link. Just click on it, and it takes you right where you need to go. CJ's Butcher Boy Burger is also selling their season patties and the seasoning at Harps. CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers, when all you do are burgers, they have to be the best. Dave Jorn, who authored More Than Baseball, about his life and career. Very interesting life and career. Jorny, joining halftime after this quick break. Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith is your seltzer hub. They have High Noon, Bud Light, White Claws, and more. Stop by Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith today and get your favorite at 9390 Rogers Avenue. Now, back to the podcast. Find us on 99.5 in Northwest Arkansas, 95.3 in Fort Smith in the River Valley, 96.3 in Hot Springs in Central Arkansas, 104.3 in Harrison and Mountain Home, and everywhere on HitThatLine.com. Now, back to the guys. Here's Phil Elson, Matty T, and Drew Barrett. Well, after a bunch of football talk, we're going to move over and do a little baseball talk with uh, one of the great coaches in Arkansas history. Uh, Dave Jorn, former Arkansas pitching coach, he has authored More Than Baseball, which is an autobiography about his life and career. There's a launch party at Paul Walker Stadium uh, this Saturday. DaveJorn.com is the website. Jorny, you've even got your own website, man. It's like I barely know you anymore. How you doing? 
Oh, Phil, I'm doing great. But uh, I did not put that website together, as you may well have uh, guessed. So it, people always, uh, they'll, they'll probably say to you a few times, um, you know, you've had an interesting life. You've had an interesting career. You probably should write a book about it. How many times did somebody say that to you until you finally decided, yeah, I'm going to do it? And how long did it take to write this? Because you've had quite a life. Yeah, it, it, took, uh, it took over a year, but that was really mostly because I wasn't that motivated to do it. I mean... Actually, when I got started on this thing, I'm like, who who really would would care about uh, reading about uh, what I have done in my life? I mean, I just didn't see it, and uh, it was cleared up to me by some different people, and uh, especially you know with uh, the Lord being in my life and where that's where I'm at with that right now. I mean, I I thought. Uh, and hoping and praying that, uh, you know, it's uh, there can be some influence to some people in this book. Well, and I know that that's, that, that's part of the, the main theme to, to this book, was, was a major change in your life that occurred. Um, I, if, I'm, if I'm missing on the timing, let me know, like 15, 16 years ago. Uh, and, 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 I mean, you've had, you've had an interesting career, you've had an interesting life, and everything. it just feels like from when I've gotten to know you... Um, what made the change in your life, and how have you changed as a person when that happened? Well, I mean, 2004, we had just gone to the College World Series, and uh, you talk about one miserable man. I mean, I was I was not a happy man. I mean, I had, I had, I had gotten here in the summer of 2002 and was involved in a bad marriage, and, you know, most of my life had been about me, you know, about what I can accomplish, and you know, trying to be a major league pitching coach, and that was the goal, and just, you know, doing whatever I thought I needed to do to attain that, and uh, uh, I was just a broken man after that, and just reached out and asked the Lord to come into my life, and it just freed me up and made me uh, made me appreciate uh, people and everybody else besides myself, and just to have a lot more love in my life, and it was just a major change. Baseball can be a real grind. I mean, it, it really can be. And it sounds like, uh, you know, along with maybe other things that, that had happened, um, was, it, was it that the grind, had the grind kind of gotten to you if you hadn't reached where you thought you wanted to be? And was that one of the reasons that you thought that maybe, um, you know, you were, you were broken and, 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 and didn't feel like you were the man that you'd like to be? No, no. It really, it really didn't have anything to do with baseball. I mean, um, yeah, it was like I don't know. A pastor talked in church a couple of a couple of Sundays ago on, on a sermon, and it was interesting because I had given my testimony in our Sunday school class that morning, and uh, he had talked about getting an I for incomplete on one of his grade cards, and that just resonated with me because my whole life, you know, I had a big I in my heart. You know, I I, I was always searching or something that was missing and trying to fill that with, with whatever I could, you know, possessions or whatever, you know, and it just never worked. There's never any peace or joy or real happiness in my life until I accepted Christ. That, that is great. You're great there, coach. And, you know, it's, uh, 
a personal journey. You know, it's it, and you, and you talked about now. You know, you didn't think you had anything that people would want to read. Well, everybody's got a great story, and it's all about getting it out there and letting your story be known. And one way that people do that is obviously like you did by like writing a book. What was what was the process of, of that? You said it took about a year, but. Um, you know, there's a lot more into it than just sitting down at a computer, writing it out, and then saying, done, all right, everybody go read it. Like, it, it is a pretty big process, isn't it? It is, it is. And I, and I don't think I would have written it, you know, had I had to do all those things. But um, my, uh, my, my publisher, my editor, I don't know what you're going to call him, my friend, um, we just sat down uh, like one Thursday a week for about six or seven weeks. And there was a phone number that we called into and, uh, he asked questions. I told things about my life. I mean, it was in and out. I mean, it was, there wasn't, didn't seem like there was any continuity to it. So we had to figure that out at the end, but, you know, once all that was completed, we, you know, it was transcribed on, on, on paper. And so that was easy. That was the easy part, just sitting down and, and doing voice recordings. But then the hard part was trying to get it all put in order and edited and, and all that stuff. And that took quite a while. And I don't want to give the give the book away because I'm excited to read it. I'm definitely uh, going to get myself a copy. But how do you end a story that that hasn't ended? I mean, you're you're still obviously live and well and with us. How do you end a life story that that's still being written? Well, I mean, hopefully, you know, we can have another another book come out because yeah. you know I never ever intended for this uh, this book to be for monetary gain for myself. I mean, really, what our plan is, and it, it's a lofty goal. We want to sell a million books. And I know that sounds like a ton, a ton of books, and it is a ton, but I think if the Lord's involved with that, it's possible. Uh, but I want to do, I want to start a foundation. You know, and I'm not sure what kind of foundation yet. I mean, I haven't, that's not been revealed to me yet, but I want to be able to help some people. Dave, you retired from Arkansas after the 2016 season, but you didn't leave baseball. You're still scouting. Do you? And you've scouted before. You've managed. You've been a pitching coach at college and in, and in the minors as well. Do you miss coaching at all? I miss the kids. You know, I still miss them. Uh, uh, the coaching part of it and everything that went into all that and all, all, those, all those things, I don't miss that very much anymore. But I do miss the relationship and the impact that you can have on on young kids' lives and being able to teach them, you know, about life, along with baseball. So, yeah, I, that that I do miss. A lot of baseball stories in the book too. I mean, you can't you can't spend as many years as you have in this <laughs> game without really entertaining baseball stories and personalities no. to talk about. Yeah, there's some stories in there, and you know. Like in, like in the, uh, I don't know even what I'm calling it, the prelude or whatever, but I mean, there, there's so much, so much has gone on since 1976 when I, when I signed professionally and just transitioned into coaching after 1981. So there's been so many years I've gone by and so many people have been involved in my life that it was a, it's impossible to put it all in a book. So, uh, but we do have some stories in there. In fact, at the launch, uh, two of my former players in the 80s 
and uh, Clay Goodwin, Norm DeBryan, and Coach Van Horn. They're all they're all five of those guys are going to tell a little bit of a little story. So that's great. That sounds really fun to read. Um, you've you're scouting. Have scouts been devalued in the world of professional baseball? I guess that depends on which organization you're with. You know, some organizations uh, do not even have that many scouts anymore. You know, they're going more for, you know, watching video, uh, looking at numbers, processing numbers, analytics, all that type of thing. Uh, other organizations do value the uh, experience, you know, the eye. I mean, uh, there's just a lot of things that I think that you can't get from even watching game film and, and, and the analytics. Like, for instance, I remember, um, you know, there was one pitcher that I really liked, and uh, I think uh, the Rays kind of discounted him and threw him out because he had too many walks. And, uh, well, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, he's got some walks, but he's not wild. I mean, he's not scattering the ball all over the place. Everything he does is good. He's got solid delivery. He's got excellent arm action. Uh, you know, maybe he's trying to be too fine with his pitches. I don't know. Uh, plus, he racked up a bunch of base on balls earlier in the, in the season. The second half, he didn't throw that many base on balls. So what I'm getting at is uh, you can't just look at the numbers. You, you, you know, there's a reason behind everything, and if you can process it all, you know, I, I think you're you're much better off. So in the long run, I guess my answer would be, you know, there's a there's a there's a place for all the analytical stuff, but 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 it's not all about that. Yeah. What what I'm what I'm hearing you saying is here. Sometimes we might. <clears throat> we might play or coach to the analytics a little bit too much. You know, the velocity, the launch angle, the RPM, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And there is no analytic that that tells you how coachable somebody is, how well, how willing they are to adjust mm. to what they Absolutely. know how to do or think they know how to do. The analytics don't tell you about the person at all. No, no, they don't. No, they don't. I mean, there's, you know, there's a the physical stuff is easy to is easy to see, but it's the it's the aptitude. It's the competitiveness. You know, how do guys respond when it's not going their way? You know, the intangible stuff, the work ethic. Uh, I mean, just, you know, the interaction with teammates, you know. I mean, how do how his teammates feel about him? And, you know, but those, are type, those are winning attributes. So, I mean, those are the things that the analytics are definitely not going to tell you. All right, so I had to, this is what I wanted to finish on. Bubba Carpenter told me that you were the toughest batting practice pitcher of his entire life. It was like you were trying to strike these guys out sometimes or break their bats and they were using metal bats. Dave, why were you such a tough batting practice pitcher? Did you just refuse to throw it down the middle and couldn't throw it straight and narrow? That's a bad rap, Bubba. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's just a bad rap. Okay, here's the deal. These guys think that you're trying to get them out, but, hey, my entire life I'm a sinker ball pitcher. And they're they're telling me, hey, you're throwing sinkers, two seamers up there. I go, look, I'm holding the ball across the seam. I'm throwing a four seamer, but my arm slot and where my hand position on the ball is, it just naturally sinks. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get you out, but at the same time, if you can be challenged like that in a batting practice situation versus somebody laying one right down Main Street for you, it might make you a little bit better hitter. Uh huh. That's true. That's true about that. I mean, they're getting, they're, they're getting that room service in BP. You know, you watch Clay Goodwin <laughs> throw BP or Bobby Warner or oh. Dave Van Horn. 
you watch those guys throw BP, and it's on it's on a tee right there. Clay is who I would choose if I'm in a home run. Then I don't hit home runs. I hit ground balls. But if I was strong enough and big enough to hit home runs, Clay's my my home run derby pitcher. Because you're right Absolutely. about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So think... once in a while, how bad is it for somebody to come in there and sink a little bit and see if you can, you know, and make some adjustments in that swing? You can't swing the same plane every swing if you want to be able to hit. Yep. There are some guys that like their stake center cut. They like their fastball center cut, and some pitchers that just refuse to throw it there no matter what. Hey, we'll, leave, we'll leave it there. Good luck with the launch and with the book. It's really exciting, and uh, wish you all the success in the world with it. Hope you get to a million copies. Well, I appreciate it, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Dave. Absolutely. It's Dave Jorn, former Arkansas pitching coach. Go to DaveJorn.com. Uh, and that's where they've got information on uh, where the books are available. You can just sign up uh, to uh, to be on their email list, DaveJorn.com. All right, we're going to wrap halftime up right after this quick break. This is for the men who never settle, the ones who miss the fairway all day and still pull out the big stick, the type of guys who will always prefer to be behind the grill than in front of the camera, and the men who never let their friends forget about a high school nickname. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. Who wants to settle for a single TV? With more TVs, bigger screens, plus our fabulous scenic views, there's more to watch at Twin Peaks. to the guys. Here's Phil Elson, Maddie T, and Drew Barrett. Wrapping things up here. First, a uh, reminder about our friends at Crabtree RV Center in Alma, the dealership that served you for over 70 years. 17 acres, 26,000 square foot showroom floor, right at the junction of I-40 and I-49 beside the Cracker Barrel in Alma. And they'll give you the best experience, help you choose the right RV for your adventures. Service and parts department takes care of you anytime you need them. That's Crabtree RV, making your family's dreams come true. Go to CrabtreeRV.com for more information. All right, so now, Drew, you got to make it back to uh, our headquarters by uh, tomorrow. Mm, I'm headed by out Sunday. To, um, by Sunday. You're, where are you tomorrow? That's right. You're uh, you're headed back to East West Memphis for yes. tomorrow, right? I will be doing a the show from the uh, I guess uh, dining room table of the fiance in Memphis, Tennessee. That'll That's be where I'll be tomorrow. I'll be I'll be at a beach house, a beach condo in Wilmington, North Carolina, Ooh. with high school friends that I haven't seen in quite a long time. Already, one flight's been delayed. I haven't flown commercially since December, uh, since the Outback Bowl. And flying commercially is about as much fun right now as removing your own toenails one by one. So uh, what do you think the chances are I make it to my, uh, my uh, ultimate destination by, uh, sometime, by sometime in the next few days? What do you think? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say you, you're going to have good luck. You're not going to get uh, any delays. You're not going to get any cancellations on you. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Ty Richardson, who left SEC Media Days about... I'd say right about 10 o'clock Eastern time, so not too long after uh, his show was, was over. 
Apparently, uh, the his flight got rescheduled. He had Already. missed it, and he now he has to it. reschedule okay. his flight. And he's actually, um, he's leaving after me. He's he's, he's at the airport. He's going to be at the airport till about uh, eight twenty Eastern time. Whereas my oh, flight wow. leaves about my my flight leaves right at about uh, eight Eastern, and I'll be back in Memphis uh, at eight twenty four. Man, it's too bad I'm not going through Atlanta. I'm through Charlotte instead. Otherwise, we could get together and punch time in the arm a few times. Exactly, we could have had a nice so meal. He'll be there for ten hours, just about. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my goodness! He has some bad luck when it comes to airports. I mean, remember the debacle of when he tried to get to Madison, and um, I think he even had the delays when he was trying to go to San Francisco. Yeah, just about anywhere Ty good, Richardson yeah. is going, but he's not the only one. I mean, we've got no, I no, it there's a lot of listeners lot of that have been dealing with this, and here I am with all sorts of true first-world problems. Uh, you know, oh, I haven't flown commercially since December. This is just going <laughs> to stink with all these charter flights with the teams and everything. Sooner or later, you just got to end up being just like everybody else, mm-hmm. and today's yeah. the day. Well, I've been hanging out with some of my, my old media friends from – from back home, and uh, one of them is, uh, of course, Rob Fisher. We've had him on the show. Probably going to get him on uh, either tomorrow or Friday or next week just to kind of recap, um, you know, SEC media days, talks and baseball uh, with him. But he's a sideline reporter for the Grizzlies, and he chose to actually drove drive here uh, from Memphis because he didn't want to, quote-unquote, fly with the common people. He's too used to the charters and the, and the police escorts and the – Ten ten star hotels that uh it it, it it I so I understand I get it it's hard to get brought back down to uh, us average common folk people. I'd rather drive ten hours than worry about if I'm going to make it to a place or not. I just mm-hmm. didn't have it in That's me true. after driving to Michigan and back with the kids. I mean that was the that was eleven hours both ways. Um, so a week later I just didn't have it in me. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to sit there you. and. And uh, go where they tell me to go, and and drink what they no I'll drink whatever I figure I need at that <laughs> moment. That's exactly right. All right, Drew. Safe travels coming home. Thank you, sir. Safe uh, travels out there. Maddie, thanks for dealing with all the technical stuff today. I know it wasn't uh, wasn't the easiest, but appreciate what you do as always. Uh, and to our and all our guests, uh, we'll have uh, Greg Sankey, Peter Burns, Dave Joran on the East Side Liquor Halftime Podcast. We'll come out just in a little bit, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for. Drew and for Maddie, I'm Phil. Have a great rest of your Thursday and get up, get out, and get better. You're listening to the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent. This podcast has been presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.